Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Political State from the Oklahoman. I'm Ben Felder here in the Oklahoman studios. Joining me as always, Dill Denwalt from the Capitol, Justin Wingerter from the federal government beat. And we are just a few days away from the big primary elections here in Oklahoma. A variety of races to take a look at, including a medical marijuana state question that we'll be talking about a little bit later in today's episode. But let's start with the candidates that we're going to see on the ballot. Uh, and Justin, let's start at the federal level here. Um, what kind of drama, if any, are, are we expecting on Tuesday night? Well, I've been out with the candidates this week in the 5th Congressional District, mostly the, the Democratic candidates there. That's uh, the district we're in, sitting in right here. That's most of Oklahoma County, Pottawatomie, and Seminole counties as well. A real interesting Democratic race there. We've talked about it a lot on the show. Sits candidates on the Democratic side uh, hoping to challenge Steve Russell. Um, I've been with the candidates uh, for this week, and one interesting dynamic is this immigration issue. Mm -hmm. This is, I think, heading into the summer, you know, Republicans plan to talk about the economy, uh, unemployment is low, the stock market is high, et cetera, et cetera. Democrats expected to talk about education and health care, two big issues, obviously, for Oklahoma Democrats uh, here. And uh, then the federal government started, you know, putting children in cages, frankly, mm -hmm. down in the southern border. Uh, and that uh, has changed the dynamic a little bit. This immigration issue has come up a lot um, on both sides. Um, we've uh, seen the congressional delegation here in Oklahoma point out where they disagree with the president. Uh, Russell himself gave a really impassioned speech last night on the House floor, which is unusual. Uh, Russell's not someone to speak out a whole lot on this issue. Well, he does speak out on this issue. Yeah. He's not one to give a lot of floor speeches. Yeah. Um, but he is a pretty moderate guy on immigration, even though he's conservative on just about every other issue. So this has been an interesting issue that uh, the candidates have had to kind of adapt to very quickly. This is something that just popped up in the last couple of weeks. Um, but otherwise, you know, I mean, the Democrats are certainly preparing for Tuesday. It's a, a big, uh, big night for them. We'll see if that field gets winnowed down to two. Uh, Kendra Horn believes that she can win outright on Tuesday. Which, yeah, you get 50 plus 1 percent to be yes, able to get that. Yes, uh, and by the Oklahoma election rules, you need 50 plus 1 uh, to get to avoid a, a runoff in August. And uh, even with six candidates, Kendra Horn uh, feeling pretty confident right now. Uh, she's by far the best organized. She has by far the most money, more than four times as much money as the other candidates combined on the Democratic side. So that uh, she does seem to be. Um, very confident heading into Tuesday. All the candidates are feeling pretty good. Um, but I mean, you have some first time candidates who have just kind of recapping things. Mm -hmm. I've been talking to them about what they've learned and what it's like out there. And um, they've seemed to feel content going into Tuesday, but um, we'll see what happens. I mean, I would guess that my prediction has always been that there will be a runoff with six candidates, but Horn believes that she can win outright and get 50 plus one. Yeah, well, and that, winning outright would be important for her because you know you don't have to spend money on a runoff. You can uh, immediately turn towards November, and I don't know that we're we've you know I don't know that the fifth district is a you know it, it's definitely not a toss-up seat. I mean it leans Republican, but there's yes. some talk in this political climate um, and for a variety of other factors that we've talked about on the show before that this may be a seat that she can be competitive in and challenge Russell, and it bodes a lot better for her if she's able to really start that campaign this Wednesday instead of having to wait till late August. This was something we talked uh, to Representative Virgin about last week. You know, how much how much does it help to avoid a runoff and, you know, avoid a competitive primary, I think is how we phrased yeah. it at the time. Right now, I'd say it doesn't hurt to just keep running in a primary. It's a very polite primary, I would say. The Democrats are not... Uh, 
going after each other too much on the, in the fifth district. And so it hasn't hurt. You've, if you're a Democrat running so far in the primary, you've basically been doing what you would do in any election, door to door, trying to get your name out there, uh, you know, running ads, stopping by cafes and having coffee with people, whatever it takes. Whether you're running in a primary or a general election, I don't think they've acted very one way or the other. So, so far it hasn't really hurt mm -hmm. her, but it would certainly benefit any of the Democrats if they can skip the runoff and go straight to focusing on Russell for um, the next few months and until November. So yeah. we'll see Tuesday night. Yeah, well, in a race like this, I mean, it's always the, the issue of the day is what, all, is what you're going to have to answer to. And you talked about immigration being that today. I remember almost a year ago, we were talking about health care. And yeah. who knows what the issue is going to be in November. And obviously, we got to get past the primaries first. But it's interesting that right now we're talking about immigration because, as you said, uh, Congressman Russell has been fairly moderate on this issue. And I remember even during Trump's campaign, he was always a supporter of Trump once he got the nomination. Um, but on some of his rhetoric with immigration, Russell, you know, didn't shy away from calling out the president. And I think a lot of that is his own personal experience. He, yes. you know, uh, he's, I, I believe he's got two adopted daughters. I could be wrong, but I know he's got some adopted children. Uh, he served overseas. And so he kind of will often, uh, you know, draw on that military experience, his adopted children, his faith, as why he's, you know, maybe a lot more moderate on immigration issues than you would traditionally see from a uh, member of Congress. Congress with the conservative chops that he has. Yes. So I'm not sure that immigration is is an issue that you know the Democratic nominee necessarily wants to be the hot issue of the day going into November, um, and depending on what it looks like and how it shapes out. I mean, immigration. It is kind depends of a how much issue. voters know where Russell stands. I mean, if True. if you know where Russell stands, yes, he's moderate on immigration, and you're not going to be able to attack him much on that issue. If you don't know where Russell stands, and Russell does not have the best name recognition in the district. He hasn't been there that long. He's a sophomore. And he's not, he's not someone who's out in front of the press, mm -hmm. in front of cameras a whole lot. He doesn't give a lot of speeches, like I mentioned earlier. So if you don't know where Russell stands and you link him to the president, the separation policy has generally been pretty unpopular. We haven't had polling here in the district, but nationwide it's been pretty unpopular. And so, uh, Russell does run the risk of being linked to a, an unpopular policy here, even if he doesn't support it, if he doesn't do a good job of getting out there and making clear where he disagrees. And like I say, I think he tried to do that last night with a, a pretty lengthy and a pretty emotional, powerful floor speech uh, on the House floor um, last night. Yeah. He's done that before, you know, he's seen, he's seen refugees uh, firsthand. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, yeah. when when the whole Syrian refugee uh, issue cropped up um, a couple of years ago, he he was uh, he came out front and gave a speech on that as well. Surprised a lot of people um, with his uh, his general opposition to what the administration was wanting to do uh, with the Syrian refugees. And uh, I think if people remember that, they'll they'll certainly understand where he stands on the uh, the separation issue. Yeah. It's interesting because I think in a district like CD5 here in Oklahoma, um, which would probably be the one, you know, probably the least conservative of the five districts, but still pretty conservative. Um, you know, if you're if you're a Republican candidate for Congress or the congressman, um, you probably don't have to support the president as strongly as you would in a more competitive purple district. I mean, no one's going to question Russell's loyalty to the president for the most part. So if he wants to come out, and we've seen that with Lankford as you know, statewide senator, um, our U.S. senator representing the entire state, come out and said, I don't agree with the president's rhetoric here. I mean, he probably feels safe in a place like Oklahoma because no one's going to question your loyalty to the president. On the flip side, if you're the Democrat trying to compete, you probably aren't going to be as quick to criticize the president as you may be, and once again, a more purple district somewhere else 
else in the country. I'm not to say that Horn is going to, you know, whoever the Democratic nominee is going to just, you know, praise the president. And I'm sure, I mean, she has, and I'm sure she will criticize the president going forward. But what's going to be really fascinating to me, I know we're kind of getting ahead of the primaries, is what is the national race for Congress look like? Um, what's that tone look like? Are we going to be hearing a lot more attacks on the president? Is impeachment going to be something that's going to be brought up? Whatever the national strategy is for Democrats, I just don't know that it's an automatic playable strategy here in a district like CD5 or, or the state as a whole. Yeah, I mean, this district is, a, well, every district's a little different. We've certainly yeah. talked about before that what happens nationally does not always happen here. This is different. Mm -hmm. This is a very red state. And so, that, that yeah, certainly that would be something that to keep in mind. Yeah, well, we'll be watching those results. We know that you'll be, you know, in the newsroom, maybe some of those parties uh, closely watching that. Dale, I think you on election night are taking a close look at the House race, right? Uh, that's right. Oh, the race for House. Yeah, the, uh, looking at um, uh, all the races across the state. I'm going to be drilling down on a, on a few of those, keeping an eye on them. Uh, the ones that, that we've learned may be um, where the incumbent might be in trouble or where there's been a lot of uh, uh, negative ads or mm -hmm. a lot of... Uh, 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 a really contested race uh, for that House seat. Um, I know uh, this weekend I'm writing about three House races in the Tulsa area that are the subject of a uh, of an out-of-state uh, uh, PAC, super PAC, that's spending money against uh, Republican incumbents. Mm -hmm. um, all three of these uh, Republicans voted against the tax increase, and the campaign is being led. Uh, it, it's uh, um, the the formation papers for the super PAC uh, are from a, uh, a Republican uh, strategist, a Republican sort of election services, the kind of guy you go to when you want to file papers of a secret organization like a super PAC. Um, we don't know yet who is behind uh, this money spending. We don't know exactly how much money is being spent. I don't think it's a whole lot um, because it's just targeted to those three house districts in the Tulsa area. Um, but they, uh, you know, someone is trying to get these Republican incumbents out of office. Um, and certainly these are Republicans who have been somewhat of a thorn in the side of the Republican majority uh, since they've been in office. Yeah, and that's really the big, you know, question when you look at the legislative races on, on Tuesday night is, you know, are incumbents going to survive? Which normally that wouldn't even be a, a dramatic question to ask when you look back at the last several election cycles. I mean, the power of the incumbency is pretty strong here in Oklahoma, but this year, I don't know, it seems like it has may not be as much. It hasn't been a tame couple of legislative sessions. Uh, you, you've got the, the tax increase, you've got the teacher uh, pay issue, you've got the budget shortfalls that have plagued Oklahoma for three years, mm -hmm. um, and the budget failures. We're, we're coming back from that now. Uh, we're not going to have that issue um, in the next year or two, I don't think, um, depending on what the Supreme Court says um, uh, about the, uh, the, the, the tax, tax recall. The teacher, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, th there are a lot of things that voters can get mad about their legislator or be upset with their legislator. Um, uh, now, historically, we know from looking at polling data with Congress, people are upset with Congress all the time. People hate Congress. But everybody likes their representative. Mm -hmm. Everybody likes their senator. Yeah. Uh, is that true for here in Oklahoma? Can people see beyond the, uh, the sort of big block of people that makes up the legislature and find fault with their own state legislator. 
that's a question we're going to see answer Tuesday. Yeah, and and probably the lens a lot. Some of those voters may be looking through specifically that tax vote. Uh, the majority of Republicans voted for the tax hikes that funded the teacher pay raise, uh, those tax hikes that are pending that you referenced earlier. Um, and so for some voters, they may have a clear like, did you vote for it? Did you not? And we see some races where the primary, uh, you know, races between candidates that were are for and against, and that is kind of an easy litmus test for maybe for some Republican voters. But you're right; it'll be interesting to see. We talked about that voter frustration uh, for the last few years. It continues to increase what's it going to look like and there's some you know we'll also get a chance to see are people wanting more of an outsider especially with the governor's race we see some candidates that are running that are really trying to play up uh, you know that outsider status I'm taking a look at the at the Senate races um, you do have some incumbents that are facing uh, you know challengers in that one as well I think particularly the races that I'm really interested in is uh, Senate District 30 which is the former seat of Senator David Holt who's now mayor of Oklahoma City and Senate District 40 um, you know these are two seats that Democrats really feel like they could probably flip and uh, we haven't really talked about it a lot lately, but I mean, you know, when you look at the political storylines of the last couple of years, you look at all these special elections. Where, you know, Democrats have been a little bit on a roll. You know, right? I mean, they're, you know, they're not really that close to getting power back or anything right. like that. But they have flipped a handful of seats um, over the last several years. And listen, the more the the the, the more Democrats that that caucus gets above the uh, the threshold to block any kind of uh, revenue raising measure. Um, it's it's important for them. It makes them more powerful. Uh, I think that's that's the sort of the lowest threshold that they're will, allowing themselves to get. Because if they go below that, then the Republicans can do anything they want, including raise taxes okay. that the Democrats don't want. Um, I don't I don't foresee any kind of tax raise uh, in the future. Maybe maybe on some service taxes um, that uh, currently aren't taxed. Um, uh, but I'm not even sure that they would need a, uh, a supermajority to get that. Um, so as long as they stay above that uh, about 27, 26, 27, 28 number, if they get into the mid-30s or even 40 mm -hmm. eventually, uh, that's going to make them so much more powerful as a voting block um, because uh, there are going to be Republicans who peel off of major votes. Yeah. And, you know, they've been called the, the most powerful m minority in America, but really because of the supermajority necessary to increase taxes. Right. If we're right that tax increases really aren't going to be a part of the agenda moving forward coming off this historic tax hike, if those stand, um, then maybe the power that the Democrats that we've talked about them having in the last couple of years is not as relevant anymore, right? Because then you're talking about, you know, simple policy decisions that take just a majority vote. I mean, Democrats have some power when it comes to st blocking tax increases. But beyond that, um, even if they pick up a couple more seats, um, you know, you're really not looking at, uh, you know, the biggest question about how the legislature goes next year is really what kind of Republicans you get in yeah. still. Well, and, and it's not going to be all about tax increases because there, there's, a, there's a group, a solid core of 15 to 20 legislators who um, are very, so far more, uh, more conservative than sort of the mainline mm -hmm. Republican that you see in the House. And uh, they are more often than not going to vote against the Republican majority. Um, and that's where uh, Speaker McCall needs to draw votes from the Democrats on votes like that. And that's when you get horse trading. Yeah. Uh, you know, we also obviously the big, you know, probably spotlight's going to be on the gubernatorial race on the Republican side. Uh, we've talked a lot about that. In fact, I'll put a plug in now this weekend, the Oklahoman, uh, the Oklahomans Dave Morris and Chris Castile put together this great documentary, about 20-minute documentary, um, just with our coverage of the gubernatorial race as a whole, but a lot of it's focused on the Republican race, which is where there's a lot of drama. Um, and it's been an interesting race. And once again, we've got, you know, really three top candidates in Cornette, Lamb, and Stitt. 
that that are vying for for two spots. It's an act of musical chairs, and and one of those three is going to be on the outside looking out or on the outside looking in. Hmm. Uh, uh, it's one of the more intriguing races, um, namely because you ha you have. Uh, 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 political novice instead. Uh, you've got Mick Cornett, who is not a statewide politician, and uh, Todd Lamb, who seems to have been the heir apparent for the last eight years. Mm -hmm. Who, a few months ago, uh, was really trying to distance himself from the Capitol. Yeah. Um, probably still has a little bit, but today in the Oklahoma, and Castillo's a story with the headline, uh, something along the lines of, you know, Lamb is really trying to play up his experience. So it's kind of a deli delicate balance for him because, you know, he doesn't necessarily want to be blamed for the movement out of the Capitol that has a lot of voters frust frustrated, but at the same time, you know, he's trying to really leverage himself as the most experienced person in the race. All right. So it'll be interesting to watch. Obviously, the Oklahoma at newsok.com will have complete election coverage throughout the day. Check out that documentary. It airs on Sunday. There's already a trailer that you can find at newsok.com. Uh, some good stuff. We'll continue to have some, some stories. We also have the, America, uh, America, the medical marijuana state question. Uh, after a quick break, I'm going to be joined by Bud Scott, who's with the uh, pro-medical marijuana uh, group, to talk a little bit about what their thoughts are going in to that state question. But real quick, I mean, we've talked about this as being a slightly favorite to pass um, but in the last couple of weeks we've seen you know ha, you know quite a bit of money spent in opposition uh, to this I, I've, I've, I've talked to pollsters about this issue and when when uh, when you do polling early um, and you find out that a particular issue has a lot of white support um, in that case the the question is in a vacuum meaning that um, well there's people uh, outspoken for a particular measure, there may not be any opposition that you've seen. And in the absence of opposition, you tend to get higher numbers uh, mm -hmm. in favor of, yeah. of, of something. So as the, uh, as the no campaign began spending money um, and putting ads out and having a, a press conference, um, you're going to start seeing, uh, start seeing them dig into that approval rating. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, I've, I've talked to some folks uh, recently, who who think that there there's still a pretty good chance that it'll it'll pass. Um, it's not going to pass with like 75 percent of the vote, but um, they're they're fairly confident that it's going to come to pass. And and even even if it doesn't, uh, the legislature might decide to come back and try mar medical marijuana in the cells. Yeah, well, you're right. A lot of things can change in the last couple of weeks. I'm reminded of the. Uh, a state question on the penny sales tax for teacher pay raises in 2016. Right. Several weeks out, it had a 60% plus favorability from voters. It ended up failing, and the last couple of weeks before that election, you saw a lot of those anti-ads come out. They do have an, an impact amongst voters, so right. it'll be interesting to see what happens there. So, well, let's ask uh, uh, Bud Scott about that on the other side of the break uh, as we focus on the medical marijuana question. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Justin and Dale. We'll be following your coverage on election night at News OK. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back here on Political State. Hello and welcome back to Political State from the Oklahoma. I'm Ben Felder. Joining me in studio for this second segment is Bud Scott, Executive Director of New Health Solutions, a group that is uh, advocating for uh, State Question 788, the medical marijuana uh, state question that will be on the ballot this Tuesday, uh, trying to push that through. And Bud, I want to ask you, um, 
you know, I want to I want to get into some of the details of this issue here in a moment. Um, we've talked on this episode about about this state question, and it seems like you know from polls we've seen and just talking to other people who are observing this issue that it, it, it's it's likely to pass, or at least there's there's majority support for it. Um, but we were just talking earlier in this episode that there's been state questions before that have had that support, and then those final last couple of weeks, um, you know, the anti ads start flying, and it can really you know change uh, opinions. We've seen that this week. There's been a lot of opposition ads uh, running against this question. I'm just kind of curious. With less than a week out, um, you know, what's what's your mindset? What's your expectation come Tuesday? Well, first of all, I mean, just to clarify, on the New Health Solutions Oklahoma, we're the trade association okay. that represents the industry, Oklahoma businesses across the board. Whether it's we have attorneys, physicians, chemists, pharmacists. Uh, agricultural specialists that are all part of our organization and we're advocating for the responsible and timely implementation of a medical marijuana program here in Oklahoma. Obviously that starts with approving state question 788 which isn't perfect but it's the best step that we have, the best opportunity we have for the hundreds of thousands of patients in Oklahoma seeking medical relief to have access to these kind of products. So yeah. we're pushing this. We recognize that there's issues that we want to fix within it too. And just like any other state question that's statutory in nature and not constitutional, uh, we're proposing that we come back in a special session address some of the issues that are still uh, needing to be addressed. Yeah. Um, now, how do we feel about this right now? Um, I think that uh, according to pretty much every poll except for this poll that was put out by the No Group, um, there's been anywhere between a 58% and 70% lead uh, by the Yes camp over the No camp. Um, spending a million dollars on television in the final two weeks is the hallmark of Pat mm-hmm. McFerrin um, and has done this in several different campaigns. So uh, we're very familiar with these tactics. Uh, we think it'll cost us at least five points. Um, however, we believe that there's such strong support for this in Oklahoma. Uh, I can tell you every single person I speak with supports this thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm just talking about people at the convenience store who bring it up to me, people who see me from being on television and constantly bring this issue up. And it is across the board. It's nonpartisan. It's Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, um, black, white, Asian, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's in support of this because they recognize the opportunities that it provides here in Oklahoma. And my organization, we recognize the potential multi-billion dollar impact that it could have on our economy here in Oklahoma. We believe it's incredibly short-sighted for us to basically say no because we're still held up on some pretty outdated uh, constructs and ideas of what medical marijuana is. We'd be the 31st state in the country to legalize this. Our largest trade partner and neighbor to the North Canada just voted to recreational legalize marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, so we haven't seen the sky fall in these communities. We haven't seen uh, reefer badness. We've seen some really positive things. So we encourage it. Why do you think, and you addressed this a little bit already, but why do you think it is, if, if, you're, if the polls that you're looking at are correct and this thing does pass, and if it does pass with, I mean, you said it's been anywhere from you know, the mid-50s to 70s. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if it's in the 60s, you're talking about a pretty decisive victory. Absolutely. Or even in the high 50s when it comes to a state question. Why do you feel like there is support in a state like Oklahoma where, you know, from a political outsider, it may be surprising to hear that this is. This is a deeply conservative state. I know you've said you feel like this transcends, you know, partisanship. Um, and most states have adopted similar policies. We wouldn't be the only one to That's not right. go with the rest of the country on, on certain issues. So why is a state like Oklahoma, where some people may be skeptical that, that it would have that kind of support here, why do you feel like the majority of voters are going to support this on well, Tuesday? We have to look at every national poll that's been done in the last year that shows upwards of 90 percent of those that are polled support the legalization of medical marijuana. So the tipping point has passed on this issue. 
Uh, and I think most people in Oklahoma, whether they're from the business community or whether they're one of those struggling patients, uh, they recognize that Oklahoma needs to get on board before we lose our spot once again and hold up the bottom of the barrel for the rest of the country when it comes to health statistics, when it comes to economic development statistics, when it comes to infrastructure statistics, education. Uh, this is an issue that we just don't want to get left behind on yet again. Um, now, it, that tips on some of the different demographics here in Oklahoma. I think you've got people that who really support this because they have family, they have friends that have either suffered from opioid addiction uh, or that suffer from medical conditions, one of the many that can be treated with a cannabis-related product. Um, they also recognize that this is an opportunity for us to do this when Arkansas, our neighbor, has already legalized medical marijuana. Missouri just voted through their legislature, not through a state yeah. initiative, to legalize medical marijuana for a very restricted uh, condition. Um, so we have this already going in place. New Mexico and Colorado have both already legalized medical marijuana. So all but two of our neighbors, Louisiana also has done it. They just haven't implemented an actual program. So. Uh, I think there's just enough people that see they've traveled to other states, they've recognized that this is having a positive impact, uh, and they see that their friends and family actually need that kind of relief. Yeah. So they're in favor of it. Well, let me ask you about some of the opposition claims and let you have Absolutely. a chance to respond to that. I, there's probably two there's probably two types of people in Oklahoma that disagree with this and they probably and some may overlap you have those who are just they 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 see it as a moral issue they're not going to support it and there's probably not much you can do to win over that crowd right. I would imagine that's right the other one uh, other person that may oppose this sees this as um, you know a slippery slope or dangerous that there aren't enough restrictions I know you said that you you, you support the idea of the legislature coming back and, and maybe putting some more parameters in place mm -hmm. um, you know I think of someone like Senator Langford who's come out again this. He's kind of taken the moral side, saying this is just not what we want for Oklahoma. I saw some ads this week where it shows, you know, it shows a picture of Chesapeake Arena, a, a, with the perception being that people are just going to be lighting up in the seats yeah, or something right. like that. Which is I absurd. Mean, or, or that anybody is going to be able to get a prescription. What kind of parameters are in place, and what kind of parameters do you imagine would go in place if this were passed? Well, the, first of all, those claims that are made in these ads are they stretch the limits of credulity. Number one, uh, if they're not just outright lies. The Oklahoma Anti-Smoking Act prohibits smoking of any substance in public mm -hmm. uh, that would include marijuana or yeah. marijuana-related products. So that's a bold-faced lie, and they've been called out in most of the media for this. Um, now, as far as anyone being able to get a license to either uh, purchase through a dispensary or to grow their own, uh, once again, just another lie. You have the uh, very clear requirement in State Question 788 that in order to qualify for a license, a medical cannabis patient license, you have to have the recommendation of a board certified physician, mm -hmm. and that physician has to make that recommendation in their course of treatment and how it is done in a professional manner like they would with any other kind of medicine. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's really interesting that the No campaign has really focused on this effort by condemning our entire medical community, uh, including the veterinarians, which by the way, today, Joe Howell, the past president of the um, National Veteran or Veterinarians Association has come out and basically said it's just a complete fabrication that veterinarians can prescribe prescriptions for humans. Mm -hmm. You can't do that yeah. as part of your license. So this is just such fear-based, bold-faced lies 
uh, trying to convince people that veterinarians are going to be able to do this. But once again, it goes back to this tactic of condemning our medical industry. I have faith in our physicians that they are able to make a recommendation on a case-by-case basis between their patient and themselves to identify if using a medical cannabis product would actually be helpful in treating their medical condition. Um, Starting this argument by saying physicians are incompetent and physicians are corrupt Uh, I think, again, just condemns the entire medical industry, not to mention the health department. Mm -hmm. Uh, We all know that the health department went through a pretty severe scandal this year. But after the audit, it turns out they really didn't do much. That really was a shell game being played that many agencies actually play each year and trying to make sure they have their budget uh, issues uh, looking looking good on paper. Um, But in all reality, the health department was not that bad. And so the no camp will have you believe that the health department is completely incapable of implementing one of these programs, that it's been done in 30 other states. So they're completely capable of doing this. Now, our organization has already prepared and presented over 376 pages of proposed regulations that would be supplemental to what we see in the skeletal framework of 788. That's how this is done on a state-by-state basis. No one can expect the voters of Oklahoma to go in and vote on hundreds of pages of regulations. It's just not done that way. And to to paint that picture that way is really just dishonest. Uh, because any other state question would be going in and voting on a general concept and then fully expecting our legislature and our agencies to go in and make supplemental rules. Mm -hmm. Now, we've pulled from what we consider to be best practices in the most successful jurisdictions for medical cannabis. Uh, Michigan, Arizona, Washington, Colorado, Oregon. They have the best examples of an implemented program. So our recommendations, we say don't reinvent the wheel here. Let's take what works in these other communities and then build upon it. And so we've already been working with the health department on this. We've been working with leadership in the House and Senate on trying to develop what would be a responsible, timely implementation of this. And that timely issue, I think, is very important because when the voters of Oklahoma approve this, I think it's important that members of our legislature do not attempt to uh, kick the can down the road for a year or two. And we've seen this happen in other states where the will of the people is we want to have legal access to medical marijuana. That's what the people say. Mm -hmm. And then the legislature comes back around and says, maybe you don't. And we're going to hold this off for three, four, five years like they've done in Louisiana, for example. There's no need for us to do that there. We believe that we're completely capable, both with our agencies and our stakeholders, to make sure this thing's implemented correctly. Uh, there is going to be need to be some more time than what's spelled out in 788. Uh, we need to have a rulemaking process with the agencies. We do need to go through that. Um, so, and typically, it's about 90 to 120 days uh, for an Administrative Procedures Act rulemaking. Uh, and I think every, anyone who's reasonable recognizes we're going to have to go through that process. But to try to say this wouldn't be implemented for another year, I think, would be dangerous. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, uh, as we kind of wrap up here, about, uh, you know, there's there's always this talk about recreational marijuana versus medical marijuana. I, I've looked, and there's not really a universal t- definition, except medical marijuana requires a doctor, right? That's right. And that's, the, that, and that's, that's clearly, <laughs> we saw, uh, earlier this week, the governor said this is essentially recreational marijuana. And it's not, right? I mean, it's, it's not yeah. at all. So but let me ask you about the medical part of this because when, and I don't say this as a as a supporter or, or, or taking any stance on this, but when I when I hear about you know the criticism that there are so loose guidelines and what a doctor could prescribe this for or recommend this for, um, my, my thought I immediately think about you know our you know pills and opioids. That's and, right. 
and and I've said this before on the show. I've found it shocking in you know personal experience and just you know in reporting on the issue how easy it is. That's right. Uh, I mean we have. I mean, we have an issue right now. I know that we're getting off the debate a little bit of medical marijuana, just talking about uh, prescription drugs in general. But I mean, we have a culture right now into which there aren't a lot of parameters in terms of what doctors can prescribe. We've seen some maybe ab- abuses of that. I, sure. I, so I guess, tell me about how, what do you think the impact of this will be you know, in the medical community when it comes to like, what, is, what are the, ne- the medical needs of Oklahomans that you feel like you know, this state question is gonna help address? Well. We can go to our website, uh, www.newhealthok.com, and we've compiled there every single medical study in the United States, Israel, the United Kingdom, Germany, Canada, that demonstrates the efficacy of this product in treating a whole range of conditions. And so if people want to see that, they can see the demonstrative peer-reviewed science that the facts are in here. It's effective. Uh, and one of the things that I kind of want to tail on to, talk about the opioid issue, uh, yes, it's been overly prescribed. It's been a scourge in our nation. I think everyone recognizes this. Now, to compare that, though, to medical marijuana is really inappropriate, in my opinion, because medical cannabis, you've never seen, there hasn't been an indicator of kidney, liver function failure, uh, death, suicide, overdoses. That just does not happen with this product. So we have the opportunity to introduce a new form of medicine um, and, and work with the medical community on figuring out how that's mm-hmm. best uh, best recommended, how the delivery systems operate, and we stand ready to work with the medical community on this. But we want to be able to provide this to these uh, patients because in all the states, and we've got a RAND Corporation study that demonstrates this, we have a Journal of American Medicine, Internal Medicine study, and reports that demonstrate that in states with full-blown medical marijuana dispensaries, there is upwards of a 25% reduction in opioid prescriptions and overdoses. Now, of all the policies that have been recommended to address the opioid crisis, this is the only one that's been demonstrated to work. So whether it's anecdotal or not, it's a weapon that we should be using in our arsenal to address this opioid crisis. And so I would hope that our leaders and our health community and our medical community would recognize that this is an excellent opportunity and it's a product we should embrace rather than push away. Because once again, to try to compare opioids and cannabis, it's apples and watermelons. Uh, Cannabis does not have those side effects that opioids clearly do. Uh, There's not a demonstrated just immediate addiction to this product. There's not uh, the fear of death. There's never been a demonstrated uh, incident of death exclusively from cannabis. Never. Yeah. Well, it can be interesting to watch on Tuesday. Obviously, I know you will be uh, when most of Oklahomans vote. Some are already voting. I think that includes you, right? You've got your I-Vote sticker. sticker right here. <laughs> I think I caught under your jacket as early voting is underway. And if I, um, if yeah, I can plug something real quick. So New Hill Solutions Oklahoma, we've uh, partnered up with restaurants and bars around the community here in Oklahoma City. We want to encourage people to go vote early and really just participate in democracy. Uh, I think way too many people are too apathetic on this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're not just talking about medical marijuana. We're talking about everything in general. Yeah. We want people to be more engaged. So there's restaurants and bars across the community that will be offering specials and door prizes, et cetera, on Saturday, June 23rd. You can go to voteearly2018.com, and it has a list of uh, participating establishments. Just go out there. They'll be offering them to everyone, but they're just really, it's a celebration of voting early. 
Yeah, well, we definitely endorse voting here at Political State. So, hey, Bud Scott, thanks so much for your time. We thanks appreciate it. Me. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Political State from the Oklahoman. Once again, find uh, complete coverage uh, in the run-up to the elections every day in the Oklahoman. And on Tuesday, News OK, we'll have uh, co complete coverage from sunup to well past sundown. Uh, for the Oklahoman with Political State, I'm Ben Felder. We'll see you next week. Thank you.